guest today is Monique Holm, founder of Vineyard Investment Partners, a real estate private equity company, as well as the Real Estate Investor Goddesses Network. She holds a JD from Columbia and New York and has appeared on countless real estate podcasts, including Rod Cleef's Lifetime Cashflow and the Bigger Pockets podcast, which is initially where I discovered Monique's work. There are lots of great real estate syndicators out there, but Monique is the first that I've found to have also created a women's network to introduce a traditionally underrepresented group to the investment business. I'm excited to interview her today about her story, as well as her work in the real estate syndication space and with the women's network. Monique, welcome to the Circle of Competence podcast. Thank you for having me, Benton. It's my pleasure. So give us the two-minute sketch of your life leading up to now, and we'll use that as the jump, jumping off point. Okay, my life in two minutes. That's a tough one. <laughs> well, um, the short story is I did not set out to be a real estate investor at all. I knew nothing about real estate investing. All I'd been taught was that to be successful, you're going to be a doctor, lawyer, professor, engineer. Like that was, that was the sum total of success in my family. And I went to law school, became a lawyer. I hated being a lawyer, but that's a different story for another podcast, I guess. Uh, I became an accidental real estate investor, went to buy an, uh, a house. because That's all I'd learned about real estate, buy your own home. So I went to buy a house, in, and that was in 2005 towards the top of the last bubble. And I live in Los Angeles where a semi-decent starter home is upwards of $600,000, $700,000 even then. And in order to be able to afford that house, it, I needed to get a multifamily. So I ended up buying a, a two unit, though technically a two unit had a third <laughs> converted garage in the back that I was also able to rent out in my basement. And I started to house hack before I knew that was a thing. And uh, then when I met my husband, he had a duplex and we got a single family to rental together. Uh, after 08, we started flipping. And then I learned about syndication, bringing groups of investors together to purchase larger properties. We started doing that in 2016. We're able to scale really quickly when we, we started to do that. So that year went from two doors to over a thousand in 2016. Um, so we've gone full cycle on a few of those deals. Now we have a little over 1,300, we have about 1,350 units across various asset classes in seven states. Quite the story. I want to rewind back to 2005 and six. What would I, What would that same house in LA sell for today? I'm just curious. That house, that property, which we still own, is probably about 1.3. Right okay, now. so it got it for seven fifteen at the time. Okay, so roughly doubled in, call it fourteen or fifteen years or so. Yeah, got it. And so house hacking. What were you What were you doing in LA when you were house hacking without knowing what you were doing? I was I was a practicing attorney at the time. Okay, yeah. and you enjoyed it? No, <laughs> I did not actually. Uh, I really yeah, and it was. Just to give you an idea, at one point, I remember it was a Tuesday morning, I found myself in the emergency room. And when the doctor told me that my appendix had ruptured, my first thought was, he told me I'd have to be in the hospital for several days. I ended up being in the hospital for nine days and I'd have at least 30 days afterwards of recovery. When he told me that my first thought was, oh, thank God, I don't have to go to work for at least 30 days. 
Um, and my next There's your sign. That is, yeah, that was bad. I knew I was unhappy. I didn't know quite how unhappy I was until that moment. And it was shocking because I'd done quote unquote everything right. You know, I'd done a really dutiful daughter, gotten this, did well in school, like went to a top law school, working in the big law firm, partnership track, six figure income. I had all of the trappings of success and I was that miserable that I was preferring to be in a, in a hospital bed with a life-threatening, excruciating illness than being at work. And so I knew I needed a different path, didn't know how to do it. And I was very lucky to have fallen into real estate, which, um, which allowed me the freedom to leap. Well, so, and I want to pull on that thread a little bit. So you're making X at the law firm, Mm -hmm. very stable, very good income. Mm -hmm. What percentage of X were you necessarily making when you decided to step away and pursue flipping or buying smaller multifamilies full time. You know, I I wish I could say that I it was that well planned out. <laughs> I was not. What what ended up happening was 2008. Well, even yeah, even before that. So I um, I tried. I didn't just leave the law firm. I thought, okay, well, maybe it's this firm. So I went to another big firm, and I thought, well, maybe it's big firms in general. Then I went to a small firm. Never, I'm never quite happy. But you know, if uh, if on a scale of one to ten, ten is ecstatically happy, and one is just miserable. I was always like between a two and a five. And uh, at the beginning of 2008, I found myself pregnant with my daughter and I around when I was almost six months pregnant I just popped out told my uh, the office a week earlier that I was expecting my boss called me into his office I thought to give me a bonus and instead I got fired whoa yeah whoa I was not expecting that at all and I thought okay and sorry I guess that was that just like related to the economy Nope. <laughs> that was before that was before what happened. So it was not expected. It was not welcome surprise, but it was a gift that he gave yeah. me. Uh, yeah. um, and I'm appreciative <clears throat> of it, even if I didn't feel so appreciative at the time. But what the gift was, so I had decided at that point, since I was so pregnant, I didn't think anyone would give me a job at that. So I would wait till after I gave birth, had a short maternity period, and then I would look for another job. And my daughter was born in late August of 2008, she was born, and then within a month, the stock market was in uh, free fall, and a couple months after that, my husband's uh, graphic design business was was down 90%, and it was not an easy time to find a job. So that was a totally stressful time, but what saved us was having um, that real estate that kept a roof over our heads. We didn't have so much that we were ballers at the point, but we were doing enough um, and we're okay to, to survive. And, and I, and then we just, we were able to sell one property. We took the proceeds and started flipping with that. And, uh, and then we went into, into real estate and I, and I found this path that felt good, was really fun. And, um, and I didn't go back to law after that. 
That's great. That's great. Were you all yeah. flipping in, in LA in particular or surrounding in LA. areas? Wow. Because <clears throat> I, I did not know. Uh, it took, it was in 20, late 2015 when I met a man who had become my mentor, Robert Helms. He's the host of the Real Estate Guys Radio podcast. I Big met him a mutual friend. Great guy. And uh, so our mutual friend, Kyle Wilson, I was telling him at, at that point, this was late 2015, it was getting really competitive with the flipping. And we started, we were looking for a fourplex, uh, something to buy and hold. Flipping is really a job. And I didn't want <laughs> something more passive, but nothing cash flowed in LA. It makes it really expensive. No, no ROI at all. And so I was really frustrated. And he said, oh, you know, my friend Robert Helm's going to be in LA tomorrow. Why don't you come and meet him and you know, he could give you some advice? Like, sure. So I went and um, I remember so well, it was October 15th, 2015. And 10 minute conversation with him changed everything. So the first thing I was, he was asking me how things were going. I told him about the flipping and how frustrating that was and the, looking for the fourplex. And he said, you know, but LA is a tough market. I always say live where you want to live, invest where the numbers make sense. And I went, oh, <laughs> until he said that, I always thought you had to invest where you could live to your pro live near your property, drive to it, touch it, self-manage it. It just didn't occur to me that you could invest outside of where you lived. So I didn't know that I could invest outside of LA until he told me that. And then I went, Oh, wow. So literally that opened up the world to me. And then the next thing he said was, and you can buy that fourplex by yourself, but you're limited to your own capital and credit. He said, alternatively, you bring a group of investors together and you can get 100 or 200 units. My mind just like blew, like I was like, my mind blown. What? That's a thing? I, I thought you had to be a billionaire to do that. I didn't realize that normal people could do that. And it's like everything lit up in me. I was like, yes, that, that, I want to do that. Then <laughs> he, he teaches how to do that. He has a syndication seminar. So I was like, oh yeah, I want to learn that. And I told him I was going to be his groupie. I, I wanted to <laughs> learn what he knows. He thought I was kidding. So not kidding. Totally chased him around the world, learning from him. Um, and because I, I wanted a, there was something in me that knew I wanted to do this, but also I wanted to be around people who thought that owning a 200 unit apartment building was normal. Until that point, everyone in my life thought a fourplex was a huge deal. And, um, and I realized I wasn't around people thinking that big, big enough. I wanted to be around people who were thinking bigger. And so that's why I went home, told my husband, there's this big syndication. We're going to learn to do it. Let's go to the seminar. This was in January 2016 in Phoenix. We bought tickets that night in October. And then we were there. And then a year later, our life was looked really different. Radically different. And that is yeah. such a powerful idea of, it's simple. You know, Charlie Munger, one of my favorite investors, <clears throat> always says, take a simple idea, but take it seriously. And yeah. who you surround yourself with and their thought processes will subconsciously just sink in. And so that's a, that's a powerful idea. 
this is part of the story that I really want to hone in on because when I heard this on the Bigger Pockets podcast, I was just like blown away. Like who who purchases a thousand units in in a single year? Like Blackstone does that, right? Um, so I'm by myself, but mind you. But <laughs> yes, but <Yeah. clears throat> VIP or if it was a predecessor. So I want to. So you were you were flipping for you know, eight, eight ish, seven, eight, six, seven, eight years. Did you own any outright at that point? Like a few buy and holds or just totally flipping. And then you went to syndication. Yeah. We just had a duplex and then <laughs> and flipping the flipping yeah. business. And then syndication started. I want to go, I want to go over your first deal. Where was it? And th- that process of getting the wheel start, you know, turning, getting the wheel starting to get the wheel turning. My first syndication deal? Yes. It was it was a friend of ours that was <clears throat> doing, um, he was buying mobile home parks and he had an investor. He, he was, there was one investor that was going to be coming in, bringing in, you know, like 50% of the money he needed from Korea. And whatever, for some reason, he wasn't able to bring that money into the country. And our friend knew that we were looking to syndicate and he said, Hey, do you want to do that? And I take over that piece of this deal and, and partner with me. And he said, sure. Yeah, that'd be great. So we were able to, um, you know, we just started calling (laughs) friends and family, letting them know what we're doing. That first one was really hard to, because people didn't have, didn't know us in that way. I mean, then they were seeing us flipping. So they knew we were in real estate, but um, never done mobile homes. And, you know, so that was, that was a very different thing. So getting that first $50,000 commitment was hard. But um, once we did, it's like, oh, really? <laughs> it's like, really? Yeah, you will. <laughs> Great. Um, and, and so we raised, we raised the money and that was our first deal. That's awesome. Yeah. How far away from LA was that located? Was it in North California? Carolina. Really? Mm-hmm. What part of North Carolina? That's where it I'm was, from. It was in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Familiar with it. Very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> so literally across the country. Mm-hmm. How yeah. many, like, what was the due diligence process like? I guess if you got brought in on the, on the latter part of that, Maybe yeah, you so, weren't so much involved in, in that piece of it? I wasn't involved in the initial due diligence. So they were already under contract on, on that property. Um, went to see it, checked out another one of their properties, um, you know, looked at looked at the numbers, the, the, the financials. And Do you all have an, an on-site or did you all have an on-site manager there or just a property yeah, a third-party have, manager there? We have an on-site manager. I've yeah. always I've listened to a lot of um, Brandon Turner's podcasts on his mobile home park business, and mm-hmm. I think that's a strategy that they employ. How do you how do you go about getting an on-site manager? What's that process like? Well, I'll be honest, I'm not into the the operations on that mobile home park, and that's our only mobile home park. But um, for for that one, they they look for somebody that's um, the, the person actually lives there, lives on site, and they get, you know, free lot rent plus a little bit of money for 
or managing just helping collect rents and that kind of stuff but they they're they're actually a resident got it got it mm-hmm. and talk about when when your partner on that deal brought you into the deal talk about the legalities around being part of the general partnership and yeah. raising money that's one thing that I've, i'm curious about how we, you can be a part of the gp we actually sub syndicated that so we did our own um we did an llc we created our own little syndication that became an investor in that bigger syndication so we were not part of the we had like our we're the general partners of our little syndication, right, right. but limited partners in the in the in overall the, general partnership. In the overall, yeah. So Got that's it. how, and we just uh, split the split the returns that way. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Now, are you still in that invested in that we're, mobile we're home still park? Still in that deal. Yeah. North Carolina is a great market. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. biased, but uh, okay. So that's your first deal. Mm-hmm. How long after that? This is in. When in January or in, um, sorry, excuse me, in 2016. So I think, uh, that one happened in May. Yeah. So that was in May, I believe. And then, um, so two, two of the deals that we did as well, we were passives in, and then we did two more active ones. So then we passively invested in a, in a, in a Dallas multifamily and then a, Atlanta multifamily. And then we found two um, multifamily deals in Albuquerque. They were, they were being sold by different, um, different buyers and sorry, different sellers. <laughs> we bought them and there was, it was around the same time. So we did actually know that we'd had two separate syndications that we did, but they closed within a week of, of one another. We had the same property management company. So it was, it was, um, they were close enough that we kind of managed them like one, one was 51 units and the other one was 77 units. And, uh, and so we, we found those deals and took them down. So there are a few different pieces that I want to sort of rewind and then dig into what, what is it like to put a team together? Because you, you noted that the same property management company managed both mm-hmm. properties in different markets. So there, are they a national multifamily? No, no, no. They mo- both, um, Albuquerque properties. Okay. Got it. They got were it, about, it. it was, they're about a mile apart. Okay. And, makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. So, mm-hmm. but, but even so putting together a team, can you just, dive into that from property management, your syndication, uh, legal team, uh, mm-hmm. contractors. Do you coordinate all of this? Do you and your husband coordinate all of this? How, how does yeah, that all break we, down? We had a third partner that we worked with, um, a little more experience than us. And so, but we, we had found the deals before um, and did an, an LOI, had them accepted, and then we, we brought in another partner. and how we uh so the team building we were we found the broker this the um we had a broker representing us and we found him through networking in los in los angeles actually it was a so he was a buyer buyer's rep he was a buyer's rep yeah okay and was he sourcing direct from sellers or from other brokers 
Well, one of them we found, and then the other one, uh, another one, he he helped us find. But we, um, yeah. So we met this woman. Well, actually, my husband did. He was at a networking event, and she, he was telling her, "Yeah, we're looking to syndicate." And she said, "Have you ever thought of Albuquerque?" And he's like, "No, tell us about it." <laughs> so she did. Connected connected us with our our agent, and. Um, and then we we went to go check out the the market. I had had a, a best friend who who lived there. She'd actually moved away from there, but I'd gone several times. Always really liked Albuquerque, and um, we're like, okay, well, let's take a trip. Let's go visit and see. And what before we went, we set up meetings with different property management companies. Um, we met with our our uh, our agent, our broker there, who was who went and showed us the properties. When we found our, we were going through a couple. We were talking to a couple different lenders. The lenders that we ended up going with were, um, I think they were CBRE, which was the listing listing brokers company too. And so we they, we got the best deal from them. So we went with them, and um, yeah, just that like one one our property managers helped us find the contractors. So that our team like they they kind of connected us to other parts of the team. That's a good point. Yeah. It seems yeah. like it seems like I mean networking in real estate is so important because one person can point you to another who's yeah. who's their recommendation. Um, mm-hmm. And certainly there can be like conflicts of interest if they're getting kickbacks or anything. But in general, you know, it sounds like and from what I've experienced and sort of learned is that networking is a really big piece to to finding those key pieces. And A players work with other A players. That's a good point. Good point. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier, too, that you did a couple of passive deals, investing in other syndicators' deals. Was that a really educational process for you? Uh, Talk about that. Yeah, it was really helpful. Uh, It taught taught me what I liked. It also taught me what I didn't like, um, you know, or what I felt I prefer, right? Um, So in terms of communication and um, just certain, certain syndicators were definitely more communicative than others, others like pulling teeth to find out anything. And I was like, well, definitely don't want to be that one. I want to be like the ones that communicate better and how do they structure it and how do they, you know, do their webinars and how to, so at every point we're studying to look at, okay, what resonated with us? What doesn't, what feels good, what doesn't feel good. And just trying to make the experience as great as possible for our investors by learning what felt right for us. So I, we learned a lot that way and just, you know, how are they, how are they thinking about things? And, um, plus we, we had, we had a lot of experienced, um, syndicators that passively invested in our deals and we were all never afraid to ask for just guidance and assistance and what what do you especially when things are fine it's great but we did have some challenges with our property management in albuquerque and so we would you know we would mastermind with others and figure out okay how how should we handle this and um, talk to people who are more uh, knowledgeable than us 
to learn. That's it. That's it. You make a lot of great points about just learning what you like and don't like while also making money to, to, to do it. Hopefully, if you're invested in, yes. in those syndications <laughs> uh, passively. When you were working with those property management teams, I'm, I'm curious, you know, what challenges did you run into sort of managing the managers from afar? Because this is one thing I've always been interested in with, with good, the good syndicators, you know, how they're able to um, live in LA and invest in other markets around the United States. So I'd be curious yeah. sort of what, what that process is like, you know, what are the check-ins like, um, what are the controls, the checks and balances? Maybe mm-hmm. just dive in a little bit there. Yeah. So we, um, yeah, we, we had access to all the financials through, you know, different software that they had set up. So we could always see what was happening with the numbers and what, what do they use Appfolio or building um, or yeah, they were using Appfolio. And so that, that helped us to just be able to see, okay, like this is where we're going. Okay, this is not a good trend. This is a good, this is fine. This is not working. Uh, so we were, and we'd speak at least once a week with our property managers, and um, just get a sense of what was going on. I was also, especially when we were in the heart of our um, renovations, and I I'd done the most of the design on the on the units so i was there a lot like every two three weeks um seeing how things were going and um you see a lot more when you're on site <laughs> you know you you get you get you find out a lot through the numbers but you said there are things you just need to be there to see can't always really trust, know trust the pictures on. yes That's right. and so we um and then we'd always learn a lot when we were actually there so I, yeah, so there was, I think it would have been preferable if we were on the ground, actually in the market. Um, but it, it's still, you can still do it remotely, but we did, I did have to travel a lot to, to the properties to make sure that they were, they were run, running on schedule and doing okay. Yeah, no, and you, you bring up uh, an interesting point that I haven't asked about yet. So, but the strategy that you all use for your multifamily properties is generally like a value add like how would you describe your strategy yes. when you when you buy a property value add and dive just dive in for those who may not be uh super versed in, in real estate speak yeah so value add basically for those who who don't know the you know, the value of a a commercial property so basically anything that's five or more units is commercial its value is based off of the net operating income of the property and when you add value you're really looking to increase that net operating income sometimes you can decrease you can increase it by decreasing expenses but mostly you're going to increase it by increasing income and so that might entail fixing up units and renting them out to at a higher rent price that's generally how we do it um fixing any management issues sometimes that they're just under market or you can just raise them to market rates and uh so there are different ways that you can and that you can find other income streams so having a um we put in a a deal with a cable company that uh, was to do providing income uh sorry internet 
and, um, and cable TV. So we had an exclusive um, contract with them and that brought in funds and anytime anybody signed up for internet uh, or cable, then, then the, the business would make some more money or laundry contracts and things like that. Um, paying could charge for parking and charge for storage. There are different ways in which you can add income streams, pet, pet fees, pet deposits. We, we instituted that. Um, in one of our properties, we put in backyards and then the, there were these like, there was a way we could fence in the backyards and by doing that, we were able to increase the rents. So there, so your the value add proposition is you see a property that has, you know, meat on the bone. There's <laughs> ways that you can, you can add more value, fixing things up. Um, and increasing the rents. So that's what we go in to do and we have a plan. Like, you know, if we put in this, you know, we fix this, spend this much to fix up the property, um, we can raise rents by $50 or $100 and cumulatively it makes a big difference and it, it can add um, seven, seven figures to the bottom line. Yeah, that's uh, <clears throat> while I was doing some research on you, listening to a, several of the podcasts that either you've interviewed others or been interviewed on, um, you mentioned multiple times the three C's. And one of mm -hmm. them was your commitment to um, leaving the property in the community better off than you found it. Yes. Um, I, I definitely want to hit your three C's and how that sort of plays into your business and how, how you operate these, these properties and who you partner with and, and the business that you actually take on. Yeah. Thanks. I, lo I love talking about the three C's, which I, I can't claim credit for. I learned it from one of my mentors, Beth Clifford. So it's basically a way of thinking about who are you going to work with? And, um, and it's been, super helpful for me just in terms of who do I add to my team, employees, vendors, um, partners in, in any way. So the first C, and these are in order of importance, the first C is character. Um, can't change it. Can't do it. So I look, it's like, what kind of character is this person? And I look at their integrity, uh, look at how they treat people, and um and so if we're out eating how do they treat you know the staff the wait staff or you know just everybody around them for me it's important that everybody be treated well it's important that you say what you, you do what you say you'll do when you say you'll do it so i'm kind of looking at what their character is and then when they show me i believe them the first time <laughs> um and it's like okay it's not they're, they're not acting in integrity. I'm just going to try in this little way. So I'm going to just trust that that's how they're going to show up in a bigger way too. So that's the first one, character. Then the next one is commitment, which I just mentioned. And so commitment in a couple of ways. First to our, to our vision, our mission, vision, and values. And um, one, as you mentioned, was that we only want to invest where we can leave a property and community better than we found it. And so it's not about being slumlords, getting every dollar out of a deal. That's not how I want to invest. And if somebody 
has that sort of those values that is not a match for me um, other other things that you know we have a we just have a, a commitment as well to have things be win-win and I look I have a relationships for life philosophy so it's not it's not transactional like let's just get the most we can out of a particular deal and you know if we screw the other people or like whatever we're just gonna win quote unquote this one um i i think very long term i want people to work i want to be able to work with the same people again and again and again and again because we treat them well and vice versa and and that we're thinking we're just we're building a relationship where we like each other and we, we treat each other well so that is that relationships for life philosophy is really important and that's part of and I want them to have that same commitment and and then commitment to the actual project that we're working on so you have a contractor and they're not able they're not going to show up when they say they're going to show up at the time they say they're going to show up and they have 10 other projects they're doing and they're not fully committed to to your project that's not going to work so they need to be um or you know a partner who's not fully there and is really distracted like you need them that commitment and then lastly is their competence um how are how good at are they at the specific task that they need to be doing and i've learned that working that you want to work with the best they're not going to cost you money they'll make you money <laughs> so i've i've learned that the hard way by trying to work with the cheapest um who are not necessarily the most competent and um and ended up costing me a lot more money to fix the things <laughs> the cheapest person had done than I had to hire the, the good person then to come back come behind me so it lost me time and money uh, but I, I look to see that they're actually very competent um, and in fact ideally the best at what they do and uh, and so they bring that to the table and and then when I have all three of those things going like the great character fully committed, most competent, then that's a, that's the most amazing partner you can find. That's great. That's great. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, to your, to your last point, um, you can lose a little bit of money and make it back, but you lose time and it's gone. So that's, yeah. that's a great point. That's a great point. So you've talked about the people that you like to work with, uh, in the multifamily space, the properties that you look for. One thing we haven't hit on that, I really enjoyed learning from you, but I would love for you to share for the listeners is how you look at a market to invest in. Yeah. So uh, when I'm about, and the market is the most important thing. Uh, I would do something differently if I were, if I followed that, but generally with the market, I look at, is it, um, landlord or business friendly you know when you are buying a property you are and you're owning it you are a landlord um and you are also a business and you want so you want it to be landlord friendly i i live in la which is not landlord friendly it's very very tenant friendly it's great if you're a tenant horrible if you're a landlord and you have a tenant that just decides they're going to stop paying you rent um it can take you months and months and months um, to get them out, it's very expensive. Oftentimes, there are these tenants, they know the game, they will stay there and um, 
wait for you to pay them lots of money to leave because it ends up being cheaper to just give them like $20,000 to go. Um, you know, not only they're they getting free rent, they're, they, you pay them to leave. Uh, and then they don't have an eviction on their record, and then they go and do that to the next person. So Sounds like want, there's a story behind that, but we won't, we won't get <laughs> that, into it. That, knock on wood, has not happened to me, but I know who it, I know people it's happened to, and it's horrible. Um, and and I, I have a cousin who's in Washington, D.C. It took her three years to take, get a tenant out of her place. Three years. And it's a miracle she didn't lose the place because she still had to pay the you know, mortgage and property taxes and all the stuff. So um, landlord friendliness is very important uh, when you're a landlord. Um, and then having, I like to be in place with low to median cost of housing. Um, uh, I look for a really diverse economy. This is something that's more important than ever right now. So when I talk about a diver robust and diverse local economy, like everyone knows about the one factory town, right? The factory closes down and then what happens to the town? You have a ghost town. Well, the same thing. So you definitely don't want a one factory town to invest in, but you also don't want a one industry town to invest in. So because of that industry has, is fortunes are not doing well. Like say, for example, right now, Las Vegas, or Orlando that are very hospitality based. So like right now those those markets are suffering a lot and probably will be for a while until large groups of people feel comfortable getting back together again. So you want to be in markets that have a lot of different industries, not just one. So robust uh, diversified local economy. You want to look you want to be in some place where there's you have familiarity. You or a a team member that you can really trust has familiarity with the market because, um, you know, there are a lot of markets where, you know, in general, it might be like, Dallas might be a great market, but not every pocket is the same. And in you, in certain places where you invest, it literally can be block by block. Uh, one block is, is fine, even desirable. And then the next block over is like, nobody nobody would want to like uh, live there so you really need to know the market or somebody on their team that you really trust has had that familiarity um other things that are important for a market is being in the uh having job and population growth right job growth population growth the you want to be where people are if you want to like where's where are the numbers going where are the trends leading you to and um last but not least you want to be in the the right market cycle for what you're investing in and there are four main market cycles is it a rising market is it a boom market which is hot but often very expensive um a downturning market or stabilized market uh so you want to understand like where are you in the market cycle because that's going to affect uh, if you should buy there or not. So all those are the the main factors I look for in in the market. Uh, I'm curious, and those are those are phenomenal uh, tidbits there to to keep in mind. I'm curious, are there any markets that you're really interested in, particularly after COVID? Yeah. So right now, um, and it, I think we're not after COVID. <laughs> 
Certainly not. We're in the we are in the middle, uh, we are not, right we're right not in the thick of it. After COVID, so uh, we're 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 not far from done with this, and um and so I think that it'll it's going to take a good. I think at at least three to six months, probably longer, where you're going to really see the effect of this this situation. Three to six months after we open three to six months after things are um, open whatever that looks like when we're open um i think there'll be some permanent changes but what what actually you know but when we're more or less kind of back back into normal after 2008 i think the bottom of the market was actually like 2010 2011 took a couple of years it took a while yeah to work through a lot of those foreclosures mm-hmm. so the the effect of the crisis is not yet in the prices it's also not yet in the economy fully so we kind of need to see how how things shake up who survives and who doesn't um and so it's that's still up in the air but there are certain markets that seem to be doing better than others like Atlanta is one that's doing quite well um, uh, all things considered but again we're not we're not done so it's hard to say it's hard to say yeah no yeah. I, I agree with you there and you make a great point that I like to uh, that I've shared a few times that <clears throat> public markets typically react very quickly but private markets take a while to sort of uh, reach a, a new equilibrium when something like 2008 or or a pandemic hits. So you make a great yeah. point there. Plus, the public market, I mean, the stock market is does not is not reflecting reality. Certainly not. That's, we could get into another two hour discussion on that yeah. that alone. So we've talked about business. I want to transition to what I consider the most important piece to this, which is your work with women in real estate uh, and women investors. So just give us the broad overview of real estate investor goddesses and let's chat about that. Yeah. So real estate investor goddesses is education, mentorship, and sisterhood for women uh, wanting to invest in real estate. It came to me as a, to, to start it as a divine download when after that first syndication seminar I went to in January of 2016. I remember it was a Friday and Saturday and Sunday morning as at the hotel gym I was on the elliptical and um, just processing the weekend. And I, I remember Russell Gray, who's uh, one of the facilitators of that weekend saying, you want to think about build your brand, build your market. Who do you want to work with? And as I, as I was on the elliptical thinking about that, I, just, I flashed back to the room that had 120 people in it. Maybe eight were women. <laughs> and, uh, and then I ended up joining their high-end mastermind. And I was the only woman with 19 men at the time. And, and I just, it came to me like, women, bring women into this, this room. In between, uh, while I was flipping and in between being a lawyer and doing what I was doing, I became a coach and I was coaching women. I actually was coaching women. I became a, a money mastery coach, abundance coach for women. So I was already working with women around money and it just came to me. It's like, oh my gosh, this is the best way to build wealth. 
in this country, in the world, like bring women into this room. This is, this is such an ideal way for, for busy women to be able to create passive income streams, to bridge the wealth gap, the income gap, to help, you know, help their families, themselves, the world. And it just, this mission, I have a mission to help 1 million women create financial freedom through real estate investing. That came to me on that elliptical machine. Not the how of it, no idea about the how. Um, still figuring out how I'm gonna do that, but the what of it came to me that way. That's a that's a vision worth getting out of the bed in the morning for, a million women <laughs> financially free. And so talk about what your educational program, what you do during those, you know, the conferences. Um, just, I, I wanna hear from you on what those, um, what those look like and, and what you hope to accomplish with each one. Yeah. So, um, thanks for asking. I actually, I have a, a virtual wealth of real estate event happening soon, September 18th through 20th. And in those events and in all of what we do, it's, it's about empowering women a knowing that it's possible for them, showing them how, but also showing them how to, how to do it in a feminine way. You know, women are not just smaller, less hairy men. We are actually very different. Um, chromosomally, we have different brain structure, we have different, and that shifts how we show up to money, investing, um, stress, learning, uh, all of these things. We, we have different drivers and different ways of being. We're often taught though in this culture to show up in a very masculine way. Um, it's a more competitive, more like um, no pain, no gain, man up, muscle through, like that's, that's often what we're taught and that does not work very well with women. We do more having a pleasure base, intuition, intuitive, non-competitive, cooperative, um, sisterhood based way of showing up and that works a lot better for women. So in the, in our, in our trainings and everything, it's, it's about how do you like doing this, being successful, but in, in the feminine, in the feminine. Real estate is a very team oriented industry as well. So I think that definitely, it can certainly be a very competitive one uh, from a masculine sense, but but it also is it, it, to be successful. You have to be good at building teams and being team oriented. So that's that's yeah. great. What do you think? And that's why I think a lot of women are they're excellent investors once they actually get into the get game. into the game. Um, yeah, we so tend to have better results in, in general, but we're we're not in the game. No. So you're getting you're leading me to my next question, which is, and we'll wrap up with this. I know you have a hard stop, so. What's keeping more women from getting into the industry? And how can folks like myself, a male, but, but others, how can we help? Because I, I, I do, I'm, I'm passionate about trying to share the economic pie that has been created by this wonderful economic machine, um, you know, the freedom in America that we have. So yeah. I just, I want you to, you've got five minutes. Here's your <laughs> platform. Let's, let's hear it. Yeah. Well, first I, I want everyone to know it's not it's not like a limited pie that's the first thing right it's agreed there's there's more than enough pie for everyone um to just come and get your pie right it's there as possible for a long time there were systemic 
legal barriers to women or people of color um, being able to access um, real estate, being able to access opportunity. And, you know, for the, for the most part, those barriers are lifted so you can do it. I think one of the ways, Benton, that you're helping is by focusing, if you can highlight the voice of women and illustrate and show them that this is possible. I think one of the big, biggest reasons why you don't see more women is that they, they don't see themselves and they don't see it as a possibility for them. I know that's what kept me from, from doing it. I just, it never was anything that crossed my mind. And I never, I never saw anybody that looked like me doing this. And I just didn't think that this was a possibility. And, um, and so as I've, so one part of what I've been doing is through my podcast, Real Estate Investor Goss's podcast, I highlight successful, badass women, real estate investors, all different kinds from, uh, I think the youngest one I had started at 18. Um, I have grandmas, I have all different races, all like different shapes and sizes and, and backgrounds and ones that inherited their, like got their first start by inheriting it to other ones that one that was homeless and living in her car when she got into real estate investing. So there's uh, single moms, you know, ones with partner, all at all manner in between. Right. And so there, just so women can see and go, Oh, she's like me. If she can do it, maybe I could do it. I think representation matters. Uh, so I think that's a big way of, you know, that you can help is just highlighting voices and, and showing people that this is, look, look, this person did it, you could too. And this is how they could do it. Um, so here's a model that you might be able to follow. And, um, and so that's, that's one big way that I'm, I'm trying to help women and just showing them the possibility and then just trying to show them how, and then creating a, creating a space where we connect women, um, different team members and opportunity together. So um, they can, there's a place where they can come to feel supported and guided in this process. That's phenomenal. So, and I'll link to all these in the show notes. I've listened to a few of your episodes while doing research and they were fantastic. So I highly recommend. I actually learned a lot on one regarding like tax investing and some tax strategies. Uh, one of the more recent ones, actually, it was, it was very good. So awesome. kudos to you. I'm going to link to it to it in the show notes. But Monique, thanks so much for coming on. This was super enjoyable and would love to have you on again at some point when you're half a million towards your goal of <laughs> of a million women financially free. So Thanks for everything that you're doing to, you know, just increase the diversity in real estate and just open up the market and the possibilities to people who historically haven't been uh, haven't been a part of it. So I just want to thank you for that and thanks for coming on thank today. You. This was a this was a this was a pleasure. This is Benton here again. Thanks so much for listening to the Circle of Competence podcast. To find more episodes like this one, go to circleofcompetence.co. That's circleofcompetence.co to sign up for my weekly podcast emails, as well as a monthly summary of links to blog posts and articles I liked most from the previous month. Finally, if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating on iTunes, which will help more people discover the work we are doing to explore the entrepreneurial investor's journey. Thanks again for listening.